0: You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, good morning, church, and welcome once again to our Sunday morning live streams. Uh, We are so glad that you are here. Hope and trust that you've had a good week. Man, we have had some beautiful weather here in Oregon the last few days, some rainstorms, but when the sun comes out, it's so wonderful. Um, So I hope you've enjoyed that time uh, out in the sun, um, and uh, hope you're having a great week. Uh, Well, today we want to continue our series on the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And we've sort of been using as our anchor scripture about this uh, uh, out of Psalm 119, verse 68, where David, the psalmist, makes this declaration, he says, you are good, he's speaking to God, he's like, you are good, and you do good, or you are tov, which is the Hebrew word for good, and you do tov. And we've talked about this idea that God is tov, and that God does tov. So whatever God does, it's motivated by the goodness of God, because God himself is the full expression of what it means to be good. The word tov in the Hebrew is this idea of the highest, most expansive, inclusive form of goodness and beauty. And so things that are synonymous with the idea of tov is something like uh, something that's pleasant, something that's excellent, um, something that has favor or prosperity, um, happiness, uh, welfare. And that God connects his goodness, his tov, to his name and also to his glory. We saw that in Exodus chapter 34. Last week we opened with a quote from A.W. Tozer that I think is good to just repeat again because I love the quote and it says this the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend and I believe that that's true like even when we study deeply and we spend much time thinking deeply about the goodness of God it still is beyond our ability to comprehend that. Last week if you didn't tune in we dealt with some difficult questions in regarding uh, regarding this idea of God's Goodness being more difficult or too expansive for us to fully comprehend, and perhaps that's why we find ourselves oftentimes um, doing things that are contrary to god 's goodness but today, what i've been thinking about this week and what i've been sort of um, you know studying on I, I just want to share with you a little bit and I don 't even know how well formed this thought process is, but I just want to kind of work through it with you a little bit this morning, and that is this how do we gauge goodness? I've been kind of asking this question to myself. How do we gauge goodness? And if I was like to sort of think through this, I would maybe maybe say, like, how do we find our goodness gauge, if you will? How do we find our goodness gauge? How do we gauge goodness and how do we find the way in which we can gauge this idea of Tov, this idea of goodness, this beauty, this, this expansive, inclusive, high uh, form of, of goodness, and so um, in, in asking that question, how do we gauge goodness, I found myself again in the book of Genesis. And many of you, if you've been around for a while, know that I love the book of Genesis, especially the creation story. There's so much rich um, text there and imagery and just beauty in the first few chapters of Genesis. And so we're going to go back there. I hope you got your cup of coffee. That's that's what we call goodness, coffee. Um, So we're going to go back to the creation story. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm going to sort of paraphrase through it a little bit. I'm sure you've read it. but Genesis chapter 1 is all about the creation story, uh, the six days in which God created the heavens and the earth. And and it walks through this creation story, and multiple times in the creation story, as, as a day ends, God looks upon the creation, the things that he did in that day. Remember, God is good, and everything that he does is good. And he looks over the thing that he is creating, and he makes the declar- declaration regularly that it is good. It is good over and over again. The creation is good. Creation is tov. And then when it gets to the sixth day, um, he says something different. You know, every verse or every day of creation starts, and God said, that's the the creation, and God said, let there be light, and light was, and God said, let the, all of the days, and then day six, it starts a little bit different because it says, then God said, as if to set apart the day, not, and God said as a as a moment in a list of moments in creation, but it says, then God said, almost as here comes the, the crux, the pinnacle of all of creation. And God, then God said, let us create man in our own image. And he does so, and he breathes the breath of life into man, and man becomes a speaking spirit. And um, God says at the end of the sixth day, it is very good. So he He looks over all that he has done and the pinnacle of that being Adam um, created in the very image, the Imago Day of God, a speaking spirit filled, inspired by the breath of God. And God says, oh, it is very good. Now, as we get into chapter two, what's interesting in Genesis chapter two, the creation story kind of is sort of retold in some ways, but not like the fullness of it. It, it focuses less on all of the heavens and earth and more so on the garden of Eden and Adam um, in the garden of Eden. And what's interesting to me is that, um, and I've shared this before, is that when we get to the garden of Eden in chapter two, everything has been good up to this point, And then all of the sudden God says, it is not good that man is alone, that Adam is alone. So we see this sort of moment and all of the goodness that God has created, the very good nature of creation. God says it is not good for Adam to be alone. I don't have a lot of time to flesh this out, but I I, I shared um, a couple of weeks ago or months ago. It's not recorded um, in one of our live, our last live gathering This idea that Adam wasn't technically alone, like he was with God, like God walked with Adam. So he wasn't technically alone. And there's something beautiful about that idea that God is perhaps telling us that just a relationship with God is not enough. That we too need community, just as God himself is a self-indwelling community, Father, Son, and Spirit, what we know is the Trinity. That we too need some sort of community outside of the Trinity, And so he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And so God works. This is not Tov. This is not goodness. This is not beauty for this sort of uh, man, Adam, to be by himself. And So God works to create, uh, searching for uh, someone to be a a companion to Adam. And in not finding anyone, he puts Adam in deep sleep. He removes a rib from his side and forms from his rib Eve. And so now we have Adam and Eve, and we see that this now, God sees this as good, as Tov, that this community of Adam and Eve together is Tov, and that the two of them are placed into the Garden of Eden to look after that garden. Now, let me go back a little bit. We are talking about how do we gauge goodness? How do we find our goodness gauge? I'm I'm getting there. Um, and so we get into the garden and I am going to just read the text here from Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go verses 8 through 9 and then 15 through 17. And here's what it says. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst or the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump to 15 verse 15 here. It says this goes on to say the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this is interesting because everything that God has created up to this point has been good. And then there's the moment where it's not good for man to be alone. So God creates for him a companion, a community, and Eve. And this is good. And God puts them in this good garden to do good work of tending to the garden. And in the midst of the garden, God puts this good tree, the tree of life. But he also puts another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's something about this tree that is not good at all, even though it brings knowledge of good and evil, in and of itself it is not good because God tells them that if they eat of this tree, they shall surely die. And it's important to note that he's not saying that the moment that they eat of the tree, they will die, but rather that the consequence of eating the tree will lead to a moment of death. They will no longer be people who enjoy or partake of eternal life. So we have two trees. In the center of the garden. the first tree that we have, and again, I'm just sort of working this out myself, um, thinking through like, what is the gauge? What is our gauge of goodness? Like, how do we find and 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 um, discern what is good? So two trees in the garden. The first tree is the tree of life. And the tree of life is very simply, uh, we recognize that this is sort of a representation of God. It's, It's God is the source of all life and partaking of this tree offered Adam and Eve eternal life. We know this because when they are removed from the garden one thing that God says is that we have to remove them because they have become like us, knowing good and evil, and they can no longer partake of eternal life, of the tree of life, which would offer them eternal life. And so there's so there's that part. And the eternal life from the tree of life, it was found in the idea that one was partaking as they partook of the tree of life. They were literally partaking of the divine. The life and the goodness of the divine was their source and their substance. So that's the essence of the tree of life. And now God has planted all of these trees in the garden and he has told them that they can eat freely of all of these good trees, including the tree of life, which was the centerpiece of the garden. Almost as if the garden itself is the first tabernacle, it's the first place of the presence of God and the dwelling of God among his people, and the tree of life is the center of that tabernacle where God's presence, where God's life, God's goodness, God's vitality, eternity, all of those things flow from that tree, and they can freely partake of that tree but there's a second tree here in the midst of the garden. And the second tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is, the, this is what I've been thinking about uh, in particular, regarding the gauge of goodness, finding our goodness gauge. So what is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And what does partaking of its fruit actually mean uh, for Adam and Eve? And what are the implications of that for, for you and me today? And there are sort of two main thoughts about uh, the implications of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and, and again, none of this is like clearly defined per se in Scripture. So there is a little bit of speculation here. We're we're sort of trying to, to gather from Scripture, gather from what we do know about God and sort of fill in some gaps here. So you have to understand there's sort of two main ideas about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the two thoughts is this, that when they partake of the tree of good and evil, that there's omniscience, uh, that, they're, that they're, they're grasping for omniscience, or the other one is that they're grasping for a certain level of conscience about them. So omniscience and conscience. And let me just flesh that out a little bit. What, what do we mean by omniscience? Well, this idea that good and evil here, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is a rhetorical linguistic tool called a mirism. merism, uh, which is like M-E-R-I-S-M, merism. Um, and this, this linguistic rhetorical tool is this, it's an expression of a totality of something by the mention of the polarities of that thing. OK, so so people think that the, the, the school of thought is that in partaking of the tree, what they're doing is they're partaking in omniscience, uh, trying to become like God in omniscience. It's saying this, that this this ling- linguistic tool called mirism um, is this expression of the totality by the mention of the polarity. It'd be something like this, like. If I said to you, um, "I've searched everywhere," say I lost my keys. Uh, I've searched everywhere. A mirrorism would be would be would to be would be to say, "I searched high and low." That's a mirrorism. I searched high and low. And you would fill in the gaps that what I mean is I've searched everywhere, everywhere high and everywhere in between, everywhere low. It's a mirrorism, right? Or in scripture, this idea of God being omnipresent, oftentimes like the psalmist uses a mirrorism to define the omnipresence of God. When in Psalm 139, he says this idea like, where can I hide from your presence? And he's like, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the depths you are there. And what he's saying, he's using a mirism here. He's using the polarity of the highest heights to heaven, the lowest low Sheol. And he's saying, God is everywhere in between. And so a lot of people believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that partaking of that tree would then create this idea of omniscience, would, it would not only be a knowledge of just good and a knowledge of just evil, but a knowledge of everything in between good and evil. And so the thought would be that Adam and Eve would then, if they partake of that tree, that they would download, if you will, omniscience, and that they would be like God in that way, and, and that they could not handle such knowledge. And that's why God said, don't eat of this tree. So that's the first one. Now, I don't really lean so much into that camp. I understand it. It's not really where I land. Um, the second one is more where I tend to land, and, and it's about conscience, And the second one regarding conscience is this idea that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would awaken one's conscience to good and evil, or to Tov, which is the Hebrew word, and Ra, which is the Hebrew word. So Tov for good, Ra for evil. It's referring to one's ability to discern between what is good and what is evil. Not necessarily to know everything, to be omniscient about all things good and evil and in between, but rather to have sort of an ability to discern between what is good and what is evil. And many would say that it would be better, I was watching some videos from the Bible Project, which are wonderful, um, that it would be better to say between what is good And what is bad? Because it's not just a reference to sort of cosmic morality, which is oftentimes where we place evil. It's in in this realm of cosmic morality, but rather it, it, it includes both good and evil, includes an element of morality. But it's bigger than just morality. It's not just a reference to the morality, but also to what is uh, pleasant or what is unpleasant to um, things that are beautiful or or ugly. So it it has variants beyond just morality to it. I hope this is making sense. This is sort of my my own stream of consciousness, if you will. Um, and so this idea that this conscience idea that in partaking of the fruit that they would be able to discern between what is good and evil, we see this through scripture, this, this terminology of using good and evil. There's multiples. Let me give you one quick example. When Solomon, when David died and his son Solomon became king, remember, remember Solomon was the most wealthy and most wise king of, of, of ever. And the reason why he was so wealthy and so wise is because God says, hey, ask me, whatever you ask me, I'll give to you. And Solomon asks for something that nobody else has asked for. And he asked for wisdom to lead the people in God. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm also going to give you wealth. That's a paraphrase of the story. But in the reality of the story, here's what happens. Solomon prays to God. This is in 1 Kings. You can find it in 1 Kings. Solomon prays to God. and He says, listen, I'm but a little child. Okay, so he's talking about his ability to be able to lead the people. And he's saying, I am a little child, meaning I am immature. He wasn't a child, literally speaking. He's speaking about his own maturity level in his ability to lead God's people. So he prays this prayer, God, I'm a little child. And then he says um, to him, so give your servant a hearing heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. This sort of idea of discerning between good and evil is throughout Scripture. And I think the first that we see it is really at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this this thought is that Adam and Eve, if they partook of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, would obtain the ability to discern good and evil, and, and in doing so, to make judgments. That's what discern means, right? To make judgments. Therefore, declaring what or who is good and evil. You know, you might be asking, like, what's the problem with this? Well, the problem with this is that God said, do not eat from this tree. So when they do partake of the tree, what happens is they are discerning or they they begin to judge or obtain the ability to discern between what is good and evil apart from God. So now, Genesis moves into chapter 3, and we know this as the fall. Chapter 3 is all about the fall of humanity. and, And in that in that moment it opens up and it says the serpent is more cunning than any other beast of the field and the serpent begins to engage eve in this dialogue about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil not about the tree of life not about any other tree about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and as he does this he begins to uh he begins to challenge um in some ways the goodness of god um so he's he's uh, you've heard me say this a billion times, probably. He has, God has been a gracious and good, generous giver. All the trees you could eat from, and this tree of life, eat from this tree too. Just don't eat from this one tree. And the serpent is sort of turning that. Did God say that you couldn't eat from the trees in the garden? Eve's like, no, 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 no. We can eat from all of the trees. We just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or even touch it, because if we do, we will die. And the serpent is like, you will not die. So he's 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 trying to shift uh, the image of God. He's trying to distort the image of God to Eve, and of course to Adam too, because he's right there. You you won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him knowing good and evil. And so all of a sudden there begins to be this reasoning between Eve and the serpent and herself. And so we ask the question, like, so what is the problem? Why is it a problem to eat to discern between good and evil, right? Aren't we supposed to be like God? Aren't we supposed, isn't it good to be able to sort of discern um, between good and evil? And the answer is, yes, it is good to be like God. It is good to be shaped and formed in the character of nature of God. It is good to be able to discern between what is good and what is bad, but... It's not good to do those things apart from God or separated from God. Lest we end up calling good evil and evil good. Lest out of our own desires, because we are grasping for the knowledge of good and evil apart from God, all of a sudden we become in ourselves God's. Who now in ourselves make discernments and judgments about what is good and evil and also about who, more importantly, who is good and evil. So knowledge of good and evil isn't the issue here. At least this is the way I'm, I'm reading through this or thinking through this. And so we figure out what is the, what is our gauge for goodness? How do we gauge goodness? Well, knowledge of good and evil isn't the issue. I, I believe that Adam and Eve would eventually have matured into that sort of knowledge of good and evil, but with God as the source of that knowledge. Um, the issue here is taking the knowledge of good and evil apart from God, like acting on their own desires and then doing diso- in disobedience, grabbing good and evil for themselves for their own desires. I hope this is making some sense. So this idea of knowing the knowledge of good and evil or knowing what is good and evil, knowing is a process of making judgments, right? And so we will make these sort of judgments by either an informational knowing or by an experiential knowing. So I, I would posit this. We will either make these judgments of knowing good and evil by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is an informational knowing like like you, you get information or we will make these judgments based off of an experiential knowing or what I would say the tree of life. Make it from walking with God and partaking in the divine. So I can make judgments based off of the information that I've gathered, or I can make judgments based off of the the relationship that I have nurtured in God and partaking from the tree of life, God himself, source of all things good, and then making my assessments, my judgments, my discernments based off of God or just based off of the information that I've grabbed. I hope this makes sense. Let's break that down, just a few more minutes here, and think through this. Again, we're kind of talking about the question, how do we gauge goodness? We're looking to the very first story where we see this sort of breaking apart of the knowledge of good and evil. So informational knowing or informational discerning looks like this. This is grasping for this knowledge or this ability to discern of good and evil apart from God. And this is based off of our own reasoning and based off of our own desires. We see what happens with Eve is Eve, as she's, as she's dialoguing with the serpent, she begins to see that the fruit, that the fruit is, it is, looks, it does look good. That it does look desirable for food. And that, that it would be good to be wise like God. She's, she's reasoning and, she, and her own desires are now filling her heart and, and are sort of driving her activities. Okay. So Eve declares to herself that something God has said leads to death is in fact now good. Okay. And she, in reasoning with her own desires, becomes in this moment a God unto herself. She now says, Well, God is no longer good and the source of my life. I see this myself as being good, and I'm going to, I'm going to operate functionally as, as a self-sovereign God and make a decision apart from creator God. And so what does she do? She becomes a god unto herself. And even before partaking of the tree, she is now reasoned that uh, the way in which we attain good and evil or the knowledge of good and evil, the discernment, the judgment of good and evil is to take it for ourselves, to reason it by our own ideas, by our own eyes, by our own thoughts and desires. And I do want to say that's something tragically um there's something tragically lost in this moment as eve is 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 speaking with and reasoning with the serpent and herself because it's it's interesting to me that Eve is reasoning in a vacuum like she is she is thinking to herself about these things she is she is reasoning within a vacuum, and, and what do I mean by that well. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, is this beautiful community, this these companions together. And something is happening here because Adam is silent. He is there, but he is silent and Eve is reasoning within a vacuum. And so there's something that is that is broken. The good community that God has created is now broken because Adam is sitting in silence as Eve is reasoning with herself in a vacuum with a serpent about what God did or didn't say, and then making decisions based off of her own desires, all while Adam is sitting there silent. And this is a brokenness in a community. There should not be silence in the community, there should not be vacuum in community. There should be the ability to dialogue together. Can you imagine if Adam and Eve began to talk with one another about what God did say based on what the serpent is now saying and what then shall we do? Perhaps there would have been a moment of counsel between the two of them when they could have said, you know, though this tree appears to be good, though this tree appears to be uh, that it would ge- to be desiring of our hearts, and-, and though we think this might be good, perhaps we should consult God. Perhaps as God comes every day in the cool of the day to walk with us, perhaps we should ask some questions further before we move forward. But no. Something has broken in this community, and the two of them are not dialoguing about it. Eve is making this decision in a vacuum. And in taking the fruit for herself and then offering it to Adam, and Adam partaking of the fruit too, their disobedience opens their eyes. And you know the story, how it goes. Their informational knowing of good and evil now produces in them shame, fear, and control shame, fear, and control. The Bible says that all of a sudden they recognized they were naked and they were ashamed. Whereas earlier, I believe in chapter 2, it says that they were placed in the Garden of Eden and they were naked and they were unashamed. Now all of a sudden something has happened and they are now naked, the same state they were in before, but they they see it differently. The perspective has changed. They're now gauging good and evil based off of their own desires and now all of a sudden they're ashamed. Shame sets into this community of Adam and Eve. Not only are they ashamed, but in their shame, they hear God and they become afraid of God's presence. Nowhere up to this point is there any indication that they were afraid of God's presence, but yet they walked with God, or rather they walked with God in the cool of the day, that they fellowshiped with God, an unhindered relationship and community with God. And now all of a sudden they hear God, whatever that means, and they are afraid. And so because they are afraid, their fear controls them and they hide from God. And not only do they hide from God, but somewhere in this story, they sow for themselves fig leaves, to cover their nakedness. So see how broken the community is. And not only is it broken in the sense that shame, fear, and control is now functioning in this community because they've reached for goodness. They've reached for the knowledge of good and evil for themselves based off of their own desires and their own wants. Not as it is it broken that way, but it's also broken in as God says, where are you? Like, okay, here we are. We were hiding from you because we were naked and ashamed. And God's like, who told you? And he's like, did you eat from the tree? And it's it's mind blowing to me. I say this every time. And I think it's really important to note that God is all knowing. He didn't need to eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil because God is omniscient. He is all knowing. He knew that they had eaten from the tree. He's not asking the question because he's not uh, aware of the answer. He's trying to get them to confess. He's trying to get them to to come uh, clean with what is going on. And I love the fact that God comes looking for them, even though He knows that they have taken uh, and eaten of the tree, that they've disobeyed, they've broken covenant, if you will, with God. And God still comes looking for them in the garden, regardless. But here's what's interesting about this broken community, this now being 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 you know infiltrated by shame, fear, and control. Listen to this there's a a level of broken trust in the community because when God says did you eat from the tree what happens Adam blames Eve this can you imagine the broken trust that's happening here how difficult that must have been for Eve to hear Adam say well this woman that you gave me he's he's pointing fingers he's blaming shame fear and control he's he's functioning and all that he's ashamed that he also partook and in that shame and fear he's trying to control and manipulate the situation he's trying to deflect his own culpability in the situation by saying this woman that you gave me and then she tries to deflect also to the serpent and and in this community of Adam and Eve there's this broken trust and there's this blame game that they play and ultimately we know the story that God has to banish them from the garden lest they eat from the tree of life again. So the informational knowing and discerning by grasping for knowledge apart from God did not work out very well. So then how do we gauge goodness? How do we find our goodness gauge? And I would say this is through experiential knowing and discerning. And what I mean by that is discerning good and evil from partaking and experiencing the divine. By living at the tree of life, the source and the substance of all things good or all Goodness, I think that this was the original intent for God, that God wanted them to partake from the tree of life, to walk with him, to fellowship with him, and that they would mature in their ability to discern, to make judgments uh, about good and evil based off of their relationship with God, based off of their partaking of God's divine nature. And I think that Jesus shows us this clearly as we move into the New Testament and we look to Jesus, which all of Scripture is about Jesus. Jesus shows us the new and better way to gauge goodness, and that is to eat from the tree of life. Jesus calls himself life. Jesus calls himself the true vine, right? Right? And in eating from or partaking from the tree of life, which Jesus is the new and better tree of life, it begins to produce a goodness in us, a fruit of the spirit in us that allows us or helps us to discern between good and evil. All of this comes by abiding in, partaking of, becoming one with Jesus, the real, true, authentic vine. Go read John chapter 15, where Jesus declares, I am the true vine. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And in bearing much fruit, the life of Jesus flows through us. And now we have the ability to discern or gauge goodness, not off of our own desires, but off of the goodness of God. I hope this is making sense. Jesus invites us to experience the goodness of God by becoming one with him. That's what abiding in Jesus means in John 15. By experiencing the goodness of God by oneness with him, which allows the life of Jesus to flow through us and through this new life, we now have the ability to, to discern between what is good and bad. And I love what happens when we become one in Christ, when we come into Christ and we allow, we, we partake of the divine and we allow ourselves to abide in the vine. We become the branches of the vine. Here's what happens. Jesus brings us into this place of restoration. He restores trust in the community. He restores oneness in the community. This is why he talks often in his in his high priestly prayers about make them one because we are one. As he's praying to the Father, make them one. What does he want? He wants a community of people who are representing the goodness of God by partaking of or abiding in the vine. And in doing so, now have the ability to gauge goodness because they have been partaking of Goodness. They've been experiencing the goodness of God and experiencing God's goodness, God's presence, they now can um, function in a way uh, to be ambassadors of that goodness to others. And I love how he brings the, the community, he restores the trust of the community, he restores the oneness in the community in Jesus, and I love how Paul says it in Galatians, that now in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, what he's saying, like the brokenness of the community that had happened in Adam and Eve, the broken trust that took place, has now been brought together, and we're no longer having these power dynamics between Jew or Greek, between or or free between male or female. Those power dynamics have been broken down. These trust barriers have been broken down, and now we have all become one in Christ, partaking of the divine. So we gauge goodness, in my opinion, by Jesus, by experiencing and partaking in the life of of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you do good, that your name is good, that your glory is good, that there is nothing about you that isn't good. Help us, God, to find our goodness, to find the goodness around us, to discern and make judgments about goodness, not based on our own wants and desires, but based upon your life, based upon partaking of the Spirit, the life, the divinity of God, that your life would flow through us, and that through you we can see what is good. And what is evil? We could gauge the goodness in our community, in ourselves, in our society based off of your goodness and your goodness working in us. In Jesus name, amen. And before you go, let me pray this prayer over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.